Good morning. My name's Tad Fisher, and I'm an elder here at Restoration. And we're in, the, in a series called Reset. And looking at what are the rhythms and our rules of life that form the framework of who we are as disciples and what does it look like for us to walk with God and to have these touchstones in our lives that bring us back to our identity in Christ and what it looks like to really walk with him and become the fullness of everything that he meant when he created us. So this morning we're going to talk about hospitality. And I'm very fortunate that I grew up in a home even after I had a single mother where I always had a a warm place to come home, where I always knew I was celebrated every time I walked in the door. My mom was always thrilled to see me. So hospitality is generous and friendly treatment of visitors, guests, but just of people. Just this invitation, this, hey, I want to be with you. I want to know you. I have time for you. Like right now, in this moment, being with you, there's no place I'd rather be. I'm rooting for you. I have only good intentions for you, and I am praying the Lord's blessing over you. We'd like to talk here at Restoration about creating environments, and I think hospitality is is an environment. Environment is defined as the aggregate of the social, social and cultural conditions that influence the life of an individual or community. So we are called to have a ministry of hospitality where we are creating environments that influence the lives of individuals and our community. I mentioned that I'm fortunate to have an incredible mom who always welcomed people. I also am fortunate that I met the love of my life, Shelly, who that's what our home is. It's a place of invitation. It's a place where people are celebrated, where when someone comes to our door, if my wife greets you, you're going to know that there's no place she'd rather be than talking to you and that she wants to know you and she's rooting for you and celebrates you. So it's from that place of celebrating my wife, I want to tell a quick funny story. So our son, Luke, has autism and he um, sometimes it's hard to motivate to do what you want him to do. And so my wife, bless her heart, always is you know, encouraging him and coming from a place of being positive and creating this environment of influencing him as an individual and Luke, you're the best and live into the best version of you, buddy, and when, when you're wanting to try and get him to do something. But trying to get him ready for school sometimes is a challenge. And because we drive somebody else to school, we have a deadline. And sometimes Luke and deadlines don't really match up very well. And the other thing is, is that we sometimes allow Luke to come into our, our bed and sleep because we just are dying for sleep at 6 a.m. We allow him to come in. So last night, starting at 4 a.m., we always are fighting for him to talk. Well, last night we got our answer. I feel like the Lord is, is a, has an awesome sense of humor because starting at 4 a.m., he was commentating what time it was very loudly. It's 4 o'clock. It's not quite 6, but it is 4. It's 4.36. It's 5 o'clock. Yeah, it's not, it's not 6 yet, buddy. 
So this one morning, a couple, about a week ago, it's 6 a.m., he comes in, he's in our bed. And so I'm, I'm laying there, and my wife is trying to get him out of bed because he's just exhausted, because he's probably been up for a few hours in the middle of the night. He's in our bed. And, um, and she's just saying all the right things. She's trying to encourage him, telling him how great he is. And then finally, she hits her point where she realizes, we're going to be late to school. And so she's been speaking loudly. She kind of leans over and she whispers to him, Luke, I'm going to eat your muffin. <laughs> he jumped right out of bed. <laughs> and they got to school on time. Um, so just creating this, this, this place of, you know you're well, you're accepted, holy, and, and there's no judgment. It's just an incredible environment that, that we thrive in and that our hearts were made for. So when we talk about hospitality, I want to look at 1 Peter 4, 8 through 11. It talks a little bit about hospitality. What does that look like for us to have that environment and that spirit of hospitality? It says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. So I love that I was sitting in this, preparing for this morning. If you can just leave that up there, please, Mark. Um, above all, so I, I love how the writer of First Peter, you know, Peter says, you know, hey, pay attention. This is important, what I'm about to tell you. Love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. So what does it look like to love each other deeply? Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. My mom and I went to a, um, a celebration of life for one of her former students that she's stayed in relationship with for the entirety of, of her life. And, and her, her friend just passed away earlier this year. And so we, my brother and my mom and I went. And it was this incredible um, opportunity just to be together and to remember and to share stories and to have that environment of, of hospitality. And one of the things my mom wanted to share with me while we were together was this incredible commencement address. And in it, one of the things it talked about was um, what does sin really mean? And looking at the Greek, that it is, really comes from archery. And it's, it's having an incorrect aim, that your aim is off. And I just love that picture of what am I aiming for? So when it talks about covers over a multitude of sins, thinking about people who are lost in their lives, whose direction, and this is true of every one of us, our aim is off. We don't know where our true north is. And as I looked at covers over, I thought about, and now you can go to the next slide, please. It doesn't say cover up. 
oftentimes we think of like a, a cover-up. It's not like, hey, we just need to paint a broad brush that that didn't matter, and we're just going to cover it up. Because when I think of covering something up, I think of, hey, I've got to hide it. I need to hide something I've done, or I've got to hide who I am. Because if anyone really knew my thought life, if they really knew who I was at my core, I would be rejected. I'm not lovable. I'm not worth it. I'm not enough. So we feel like, do you, does that, do you guys feel that way sometimes, that, that you have things that, man, if people knew that about me, they would run the other direction. I've got to cover it up. So I need to create a facade or a, put on a mask to project or prove to the world that I, I am worth being around, I am lovable. But when I put on that mask, it's not really the authentic me. So I walk around living in constant fear of exposure. The, the men's leaders went to a, a weekend a few weeks ago, and one of my big takeaways from that was one of the things they said is, we want to be men and women. They told it, we were, it was for men, but we want to be men and women who have nothing to hide, nothing to prove, and nothing to fear. And so a cover-up, you have everything to hide. You don't want to be authentic. You feel like you've got to prove that the, what the messages of that shame are aren't true. And you live in constant fear of being exposed. Conversely, to cover over, and we're not talking about excusing something. If somebody has hurt you, it's not excusing what someone has done. Jesus didn't excuse, but he sacrificed because of who you are. So it's not about what you've done. It's about who you are and that we're uniquely created in the image of God. So covering over our sin is, hey, you're worth it. You were created in the image of God uniquely. You just, your aim is a little off. So I'm going like, to bestow upon you. So what does it look, to look like to cover over? It means in vulnerability, I open myself and I'm willing up to take the risk of being authentic with myself, opening, taking a risk to open myself up with God and what does he have to say about me. And then I'm willing to be authentic and vulnerable with my friends and my family, my coworkers. And living from that place, I'm believing, you know what? The Lord bestowed an identity on me. God's grace is sufficient for the things that I have a tendency to, like, and a temptation to cover up. And I believe I'm uniquely created in his image, and he meant something when he created me. And my weakness is an opportunity for his redemption story. By covering those things up and by living in shame, we take away the opportunity for the Lord to tell an amazing story of redemption, revealing who we are as we walk with him and as he builds us into becoming the men and the women that he created us to be. In the battle, I love John 10.10. It says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life, life to the full. 
the battle and the temptation is always going to be to cover up versus covering over. And we can't impart to others what we haven't owned for ourselves. And so if we're living a life where we're covering up and we're afraid of being exposed and we're trying to prove because we're living out of shame, then it's very difficult for us to lay our lives down for others and to provide this hospitality, this environment that gives people the freedom to be authentic themselves. If we're not authentic, see, when we're truly authentic, it invites other people and gives them the freedom, man, maybe it's okay I don't have it all together. Whereas if we're pretending that we have got it buttoned up, man, people feel that. That's an environment that people feel and it creates this pressure where they're like, well, gee, I, I better have it all together too. I better cover up. And if you have two people who are together, both covering up, that is not authentic relationship. That is not redemptive. And that does not bring us closer to becoming the men and women that God created us to be. So how do we get to a place where we can love each other deeply, covering over a multitude of sins? So I love Matthew 7, 7 through 12 in in the Amplified Version. So the tense of the verbs, ask, seek, and knock. I love how it, let let me read this, and I think that this really, for me, changed how, how how do I view this? When I've heard this, I've kind of thought about when I ask and I seek and I knock, it's almost like God is some type of genie in a bottle where I just need, if I ask, even if he's annoyed with me, maybe he'll, he'll give me what I'm asking for. And it generally would involve me asking for things that would fit my own version of the story I'm living in. Or get me out of a bind. Lord, if just give me, get me out of this. Let me do well on this work project or this test. Or if you just give that to me, I'm going to ask, I'm going to seek, I'm going to knock. So I think the Lord has something much bigger than that in this verse. It says, ask and keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking, and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who keeps on asking receives, and he who keeps on seeking finds. And to him who keeps on knocking, it will be opened. What man is there among you if his son asks for bread will instead give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish will instead give him a snake? If you then, evil, which is sinful by nature, again, if you who don't have your aim set towards the right place, your aim is off, you know how to give good and advantageous gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven perfect as he is, give what is good and advantageous to those who keep on asking him. So then, so then, even those of us who are imperfect know how to give good gifts even when our aim is off. If we keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, so then in everything, treat others the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the essence of the law and the writings of the prophets. Let me read that again. So then, in everything, treat others the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the essence of the law and the writings of the prophets. That is hospitality. 
So these verses are not a casual request. It's like, Lord, I can't find my keys. I'm going to be late. I can't find my phone. It's not about something you want. It's not about, hey, Lord, give me the job. I need this much money. I need, please help me find a car. Again, sometimes it's okay to ask the Lord to bless you with something, something, but like the heart of this verse is to keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. It's coming from a place of desperate dependence. Lord, Lord, I need you to come through for me. I don't know who I am. I am living in shame. I am hiding. I am afraid. I am trying to prove I'm worth something. Lord, what are you willing to give up? What are you willing to sacrifice for him to answer those questions? It's reveal, it reveals the deepest desire of who you are and your identity in Christ. So are you willing to fight? Are you willing to persevere in the midst of circumstances that might tell you that, you know what, you're not. You're not worth it. You should live in shame. You should. Man, people are really going to run the other direction if you live that way. You're going to get hurt, and that's not going to be fun. Stepping into that and saying, you know what? It is so important. Something eternally will be lost for the kingdom if I don't step in and live out my unique identity, my unique place in the story, the unique relationships the Lord has given me. The friends, the family, the coworkers. No one else has your particular opportunity and area of influence. It's the calling of your life. It's who you are is what it's at stake here. And the Lord is saying, keep on asking. I've got amazing things that I want to reveal to you. Keep on seeking. Don't give in to the temptation to cover up because I am a God who covers over. I'm a God who sees you in all of your flaws and I am just so pleased and I just love you so much. And we're going to walk into that, and we're going to, you're going to become more and more the man or the woman who I dreamt you, be, you were becoming. I've got a plan. You're not disqualified from this amazing plan I've got. So again, the battle is to believe that living an epic story of sacrifice, which is covering over, and not a life of self-protection or covering up, is that life to the full that Jesus promises in John 10.10. So are we asking the right questions? Are we asking God for the right things? So what if we started, instead of asking, Lord, bring me, I need a friend, or I need a spouse, or I need fill in the blank. Lord, what are you after for me to become a good friend? What are you after for me to become a good spouse? What are you after for me to become a good son, a good daughter, a good brother, a good sister? And I'm willing to do whatever you ask of me, whatever it takes to grow into that man or that woman to live into that. Lord, I know my aim is off. I know it is. Lord, show me where is my aim off. 
Are we willing to give God permission to show us where our aim is off and asking God to grant us the wisdom and the discernment and the vision to live into, to reveal any lies that we've believed, that shame where we feel like we need to hide. Lord, reveal it. I want truth in my inmost being because I want to walk that out. Lord, what's in the way? Lord, who are you asking me to forgive? On the men's weekend, we, there was this incredible scene that they showed from the movie The Shack that had a big impact on me that said, forgiveness isn't excusing what someone did. It's, treat, it's trusting God and taking your hands off of their throat. Like, we don't need to demand justice. The Lord is a good God. He's so big, and he loves each and every person, even those people who have wounded you deeply. If we are harboring unforgiveness, I can promise you that's in the way of you offering hospitality. It's bitterness, and we become closed off, and we say, you know what? If I got hurt there, I'm not going to try. I'm not doing that again. And we, then we sacrifice vulnerability. We sacrifice intimacy with our Father and with each other. Lord, who do you want me to forgive? Bringing our hearts and our, all of our motivations before the Lord and asking for him to reveal himself. Lord, heal where you need to heal. My unbelief, I, I know I don't believe you enough. I don't want to live a life of self-protection. I want to believe your promise of what life to the full really looks like. So really this is a posture that we need to have with the Lord and that he's calling us to have, not perfectly, but just even admitting, Lord, I, my aim is off. What are you after? What is it going to take? I need you to bestow upon me the confidence to live with authenticity and vulnerability so that I can live this epic life of sacrifice for others. So then... And everything, treat others the same way you want them to treat you. Thought about, it was really fun going into this time of just remembering how I've experienced hospitality. Remembering, again, my mom and my wife and like Shelly, when I would get home from work, had young kids come in the door She's frazzled. The kids have, you know, been a handful all day. But I can promise you, every time I walk through the door, kids, dad's home. Celebration. It matters. This incredible environment where I felt rest. I felt accepted. I felt rooted for. I felt like I could let my guard down and be authentic in my home. I thought back to my second year of college, living in the fraternity house, not experiencing the life to the full, not walking out my faith. And these two guys who I barely knew, Mark and Carlos, fighting for me and asking me to live with them. Hey, Ted, do you want to never forget? They're right, I can remember the spot on the lawn at UVA. You want to live with us next year? It changed the trajectory of my life. My aim was off, and they said, hey, we see something in you. We want to be with you. We're rooting for you. We don't even really know you. 
that I believe God put me on their heart to invite me in to a group of men to live this out together. We would have house meetings every week with a group of Christian brothers. Hey, how you doing? Really? What are you struggling with? Let's take off our masks. What's really going on? How can I pray for you? How can I encourage you? It's like, man, this is life. I want to live this way. So I got to law school, and I said, I need to find some men that I want to meet with on a weekly basis. And I took my first job. I'm going to find some men in Richmond. Move here. I'm going to find some men to meet with. I still talk to Mark and Carlos every week. We have a time that we get together on the phone. Friday mornings, I meet with men. I meet with Liam. Good men. Good men. That is the rhythm that the Lord has given me a vision for and a heart for that I know I need because in my weakness, I can't live this out alone. We're not called to cover over our sin just between us and the Lord and just walk it out. We are called into fellowship and community. It's part of the framework of my life. It's a touchstone that I rely on. I have desperate dependence on these men in my life. So Liam and I have been reading this book, and when we get together, it's called On My Worst Day, The Narrative Changes When Redemption Enters In. And it's this, I, I think it's transformational idea of this guy telling his life story, and we are terrible interpreters of our story. And he asks the Lord, Lord, what did you say to me at those various touchstones and points in my life that had a big impact on me? that I had terrible interpretation and took lies and messages that caused me shame and caused me to hide? Like, what do you say about that? And then he writes it out. Like, what, what's the Lord say to him in those situations? And he invites us then, what does it look like for us to do that? So towards the end of, of his book, he, he, he says, I dream in color of the church one day. And this, I think, is an incredible picture of hospitality, drawing out each other's new natures instead of comparing behaviors, moving closer to each other when we fail, gaining permission to protect each other, creating environments of grace where there is safety to not hide. Enjoying the intimate and unguarded closeness of a God who is already pleased with us. We don't have to live under judgment. Unguarded closeness of a God who is already pleased with us. Reaching to others with a gospel of hope for today and not only a remedy for heaven. Living with heartfelt obedience instead of religious compliance. Giving our lives away as a response of love, not as an effort to assuage our shame. Mm. Breaking the ought code that is anesthetizing us from intimacy with Jesus. 
taking the moralistic filter off of God's word so that it no longer condemns us, believing we're adored on our worst day so that we are free to take off the mask, resting in the absolute reality that a shame-free story has been purchased for us. Resting in the absolute reality that a shame-free story has been purchased for us. That is an incredible promise. So my prayer for us and my challenge is where do you have masks? Where, where are you hiding? Where are you living a life of cover-up? And do you have anyone in your life that you're meeting with on a regular basis who can ask you, ask you, how are you doing, really? I don't want to hear how you have it all together. How you're killing it at your job or you're killing it in class and your friendships are all awesome. You're awesome. I want to hear how are you doing, really? Because that is how the Lord equips us to live with this gift of hospitality. When we receive from him and we receive from those closest to us who really know us, it gives us the freedom to walk into that and lay our lives down in this epic love story for others. Jesus, we're just so grateful for who you are, that you're a God who wants to know us deeply, intimately, You're a God of hospitality. You want us to live in environments that are safe for our hearts to just be truly us, who we are, who you created us to be, who we are and who we are becoming. Your heart is for us to come out of hiding, to come out of the darkness, to not live a life of shame and covering up, trying to prove something that that you've already proven and fearful of exposure when really what you want to do is shine the light so that we can live in vulnerability and that you can take our weakness and you can tell an incredible, epic love story. You're that good. We believe you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.